This is Greg Malden, and you're listening to the Shares Podcast. everybody to an exclusive episode of the sheriff guys today i am able to have another one of my idols with me right now now ladies and gentlemen we have all heard the term the complete player me as a big player i wish sometimes that i could have been a little bit faster i know that some of my teammates that were smaller players they might wish that they were stronger or maybe tougher but my guest today ladies and gentlemen had the combined speed, skill, toughness, and leadership, and in my opinion, was the most complete player of his era. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is a Stanley Cup champion, and I'm going to bring him right in right now. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brad May, how are you doing this evening? Oh, thank you, Sean. I, um, I'm doing fantastic. Um, you know what, first of all, even before I go into what you just said, um, you know, I've, I've followed you, and, and it's it's amazing. From your podcast, of course, um, I was a Buff- Buffalo Sabre before you arrived in Buffalo, and I had been traded to Vancouver. And I think the year 2000 was your was your maiden voyage. Um, I had actually signed a contract that summer with, um, or maybe it was the following summer, but in 2000 um, with the Phoenix Coyotes. And um, but I I followed you. I know I know where you traveled, what you've done. My buddies, obviously. From Buffalo, Robbie Ray, Matthew Barnaby told me about their experience with you, and um, I'm I'm pleased to be here. And thank you for the nice compliments. You know what I um, I pride myself on, or prided myself on, you know, doing whatever it took, you know, wearing whatever hat. And I can honestly say, like proudly, that you know I I have I probably check all or check all the boxes in in many ways. You know, I was a first round draft pick. I when I came out a junior after winning a gold medal with the world junior team in Canada, um, in Saskatoon in 1990-91 world juniors, make the Buffalo Sabres. I did not, I did play, I did go to Rochester at the end of my junior, my last junior year, but I yeah. was able to make the Buffalo Sabres the following training camp, um, which mm-hmm. was fantastic for me. And 1,041 regular season games later, I, I, re- <laughs> uh, I, I went to the American Hockey League for 15 or 16 games with the um, Grand Rapids Griffins, That's so right. I can to the players, or I certainly can identify with 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 playing in the minors, albeit it was at the end of my career, um, in a in a kind of leadership role more more importantly. But I was a, I, I took dumb penalties, um, I took major penalties, <laughs> I scored big goals, I I fought the toughest, I took advantage of weaker guys as well during my career, um, like we all do. It's all about timing and whatever happens in front of you and you do it for your team so um i do proudly i could say that i can i can not only converse but i can understand whatever dilemma any type of player was going through because i think i wore that hat at some point in time and um even today um if i didn't go down to the minors at the end of my career to have those conversations with young players that are aspiring to make the nhl um albeit i i did but I can also speak to the, the relationships that I was able to garner with t- 
Thomas Tatar, who's an NHLer for the last 10, 12 years, 15, 13 years, whatever it's, whatever it's been, Justin Abdelkader, um, yep. Brendan Smith, players like this that actually um, I had an experience with in the minors, and and I can, you know, I can I can enlighten that young player on on these experiences and what it takes to be a pro. And um, I didn't want to go at the end, obviously. I just I wanted to stay in Detroit at the time, but. Um, yeah it turned out to be a really, really good thing for me. And arguably I, I love hockey because I went back and did that and my career didn't end sourly. Um, some people would think so, but probably m- one of my favorite five, six weeks of hockey was, was in Grand Rapids with those young guys. And I was, my son who was 13 or 14 years old at the time was closer in age to those players than I was at 38. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was actually, some ways, you know, they, they, they fill the void for me too, as you know, being a, being a father for, for many years. Um, I, I had conversations with players that you never would have, if, if I wasn't that age and I hadn't had that experience, I wouldn't have known how to communicate to those guys. So, um, great experiences. But anyways, thank you. Yes. No, Brad, first of all, I want to say thank you very much for sharing all that because that was incredible. Like, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm like at the edge of my seat listening to you, brother. Right. But like, there's a few reasons why I'm so happy to have you on my show, man. And a couple of them I want to get into right now. Like, I usually have a little plan that I do with my show, but I got Brad May on one of the most famous Buffalo Sabres of all time. And like, and, and, and like what? May Brad, what did the boys call you? Because I don't, I don't, I don't like calling you Brad and, and May. What did the boys call you? Well, it's funny. Well, my mother, they call you Maisie. Well, my mother named me Bradley, um, L E Y, and my mother could call me Bradley. Um, I don't but think my, it. I don't think my dad's ever called me Bradley. Um, my brother, you know, when he when he wants to make a point, he'll call me Bradley. And a few teachers I had, and a few <laughs> coaches, but beyond that. That, you know, that was my given name and, and it doesn't sound right when people call me Bradley, but I think through the years, it, I was always Mazer or Maisie, yeah. like every yeah. player has, you know, the, the, er or the E at the end or the Y at the end. But, um, 1993, my life changed. Obviously, um, I scored a goal and play in the playoffs against Boston, which was obviously pretty awesome and still is, and it, it still plays. Um, going into the playoffs through the National Hockey League and different things. But Rick Jenneret coined me Mayday, and I'd never been called that prior. And um, pretty much beyond that, it's either Brad or Mayday, one of the two. And I'm actually, you know, when I say it, it sounds like I'm a pompous ass. But when other people call me it, it's if it's endearing to me for sure. And um, I think people are comfortable. I mean, that's how they know me now. Yeah. So so just Mayday or is it Maisie as well? Well, I think some guys, you know, depending, going back to my junior teammates, it's Maisie or Mazer. <laughs> you know what I mean, I've, guys? But then pretty much after after 93. After it happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Never, are you comfortable with Are you comfortable with me saying Mayday? I, I love it. Okay, cool. That's oh. what I'm doing then. That's what it? I'm doing, Mayday. All right. So, okay, so, so this is the thing, Mayday. I feel as a former guy that used to be part of the Buffalo Sabres organization that, you know, that was the team that drafted me just like you, you know, I, I played in their system. I played their preseason, blah, 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 blah. I feel like I'm a part of that organization. Okay. Alumnus. I feel that hockey in general, especially the newer generation that's only been watching hockey like the last 10 years, 
They're not giving the Sabre organization the respect that the organization deserves, okay? I know the team hasn't done well lately. Other teams have been have had to go through this as well. The point that I want to make is that you, sir, you played for this team the first, what, seven seasons of your career. You made the playoffs, Mayday, five out of those seven years, and you guys were competitive group. It could have went either way. You had the best, as most of those years, you had the best goalie. There was always a chance that you guys could have won. You brought excitement to Western New York. You brought excitement all the way up to QEW, pretty much all the way to the GTA, was all Sabre Nation. I remember those training camps in St. Catharines on Niagara and the Lake, Sabre Nation. Sabre Nation is strong. The hockey culture is rich. And I have these arguments with these people that are trying to tell me that, oh, you, Buffalo's the laughing stock, this, that. I'm like, listen, the Buffalo's not a good team right now. That will change. That area, that region, that organization is very strong. And and I, I would like to get your opinion on that. Do you feel that it's getting a little bit of a bad name recently? And how proud is Brad May of, be, of being a Buffalo Sabre? And I'm sure you think of yourself as a Sabre for life. Yeah, well, 100% I'm a saver for life. Um, I don't even care if they want to kick me out of that 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 legion. Um, no, <laughs> Sabers has have been have to me. It, it get, they gave me my start like yourself, Sean. And um, when going to Buffalo, not only are the fans and their fan base awfully strong, um, it's it was an amazing place for me to grow up. I played junior hockey in Niagara Falls, just down the road. Matter of fact, right. when I drafted. Um, at the draft, I'm sitting in my seat and um, not knowing, you know, who was going to select you. But um, Jerry Meehan came up there. They made a trade and the trade was for Phil Housley and Dale Howarchuk. Scott Arneal and Jeff Parker went to Winnipeg as well with with Phil Housley. Dale Howarchuk was, you know, that's when they made the trade. And they said that, you know, after making the trade and announcing it, they said, um, Jerry Meehan, if I quote, uh, maybe not perfectly, but he said, the Buffalo Sabres select a semi-local boy, Brad May, from the Niagara Falls Thunder. And that was like 25, 30 minutes down the highway, right, across the, across the border, and you're in Buffalo. And um, so I grew up there, you know, for a couple years in Niagara Falls, but, um, you know, the next seven or eight years of my life, my, I was married as I was playing with the Buffalo Sabres. I had, I had my first son, um, with the, you know, when, in Buffalo. The people there are fantastic. Um, so I, I agree with everything you just said. There's no question, though, their lack of success over many years, and it's not recent, it's many years, um, probably the last great year. I know they made the playoffs when the Pagulas bought the team. Um, yeah. They had a pretty exciting team, and it was, it was kind of remnants of their last real run, which was in 06 and 07. Um, yeah. They had a really good team with Danny Breer and, and, and Chris Drury and others. Um they deserve their criticism, you know, because they haven't performed. But I'm here to say that I love being a Sabre. I love the, being recognized as a Sabre. And they'll figure it out, like you were saying. But the hard part about the National Hockey League and free agency and the way it's set up now, it's does that, like, class, like, like grade A, whatever you want to call it, the top prospect or top free agent, does he select the Buffalo Sabres? And that's not going to happen until these young players like Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin 
and Alex Tuck, who's recently been acquired there, they start building something, getting some momentum and, and some energy and some confidence. The best, you know, those top free agents will look at Buffalo because it, it's a great, it's a great community. It really is. I know it's down the road from Toronto and people kind of, you know, they like to dump on Buffalo a little bit, but um, tell you one thing, I could match my house in Buffalo as you know, that I, that I bought and I lived in for a few years when I was in Buffalo, I can match it to any home in, in Southern Ontario or anywhere else. And I can tell you that my yard was just as nice as anybody else's in any, any location um, along with, you know, all these new players and, and new things. Buffalo is an amazing place. So the problem for them is until they start winning, they're not going to get the respect. It's it, They're very much like the Phoenix Coyotes. Edmonton, of course, they've got two of the best players in the world now, and they are a destination, but they still struggle. Um, yeah. It's not easy to come from the bottom and get back in the mix. And hopefully, you know, um, Kevin Adams, their new GM at, or current GM, um, can actually put this together but there's not a lot of believers outside of buffalo but uh, i do know that they're doing the best they can at this moment and sorry to keep talking here but you know i love it i love it you know you played one game for the sabers and i'm not here's the thing i played i don't know 400 or 500 there i don't even know it doesn't matter if you played one game or a thousand games for the buffalo sabers and i'll tell you what when this when, when the Bugulas bought the team they invited every Buffalo Sabre that they could, they could reach across the globe and paid for their flights. And I think 70 guys showed up or whatever it was. And I'm not sure of how many players, a lot of guys couldn't make it, but Terry Pagula stood up in front of all of us and called up Gilbert Perot. And he came up and he had a trophy or a bottle of wine or whatever, whatever the offering was. And he was like, guys, Gilbert Perot is, is the longest serving member of the Buffalo Sabres played the most games, you know? And he said that, I think what I'm not sure of the number, but he played and he is the guy, right? He was the first selection of the Buffalo Sabres and he was still there. And he said, and he called up a guy named um, Steve Smith, Steve Smith's from Ontario, kind of in the Coburg Belleville area. And Steve played, I believe one game like yourself, one or two. He he didn't play many. And he called up Steve and he gave him a big gift. There were 70 other guys in the room and we didn't know where this conversation was headed, but he called Steve up and he said, listen, I don't care if you've played one game or a thousand games like Gilbert, you're a member of the Buffalo Sabres and you're going to be treated like that. And it doesn't matter once you're part of the, you know, you put that crest on. It was a, it was actually a really moving conversation that he had with all of us in front of all of us. And it really put it in perspective and you should be proud as well. And you, you know, from, for a guy like me, and I heard that right from the top, um, it's actually a really nice feeling that to know that you're part of something special. So that's that. 100%. Um, yeah. I, I really appreciate you saying uh, some of that stuff Mayday, and, and, and like, so, so thank you for that for sure. Uh, see now, now you understand why you're the guy that I want to talk about this. This is great. This is incredible, man. I'm, I'm loving it. I appreciate it. So like, and, and you're right. The Sabres need to win, Brad, they need to win. Right. And, and they will, they, they will. Like, I think, I think now that the Eichel thing is done with and, you know, like, like it, it, it looks now like the, the Sabres actually made a decent trade, like with Eichel and, you know, and, and the thing is, Mayday, is that the Buffalo Sabres, like when we were there, our eras, it was different because in my opinion, and you'll have to give me your opinion because you played on multiple other NHL teams, the Buffalo Sabres seem to be like a community team, like, 
it was about the community and the team got a lot of the players, not 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 the majority, but some of them that were somewhat local, like you, or that had ties to the local areas and stuff. Like when I was playing, it was like Andrew Peters, a kid from St. Catharines. Draft him high. He's probably going to want to play in Buffalo if he's from St. Catharines. Tim Connolly, a guy from, you know, upstate New York. Like, he's going to want to be there if he, if it's somewhat community. And I think the Sabres, I like their core now, but I think they really need to go after those guys, those southern you know, Golden Horseshoe Ontario guys, those upstate New York guys. And I think they can build a nucleus that will actually want to be there. Like, and we heard the the management say that after Eichel left, we want guys that want to play for the Buffalo Sabres, right? And, and that's the little bit of a difference than some of the other teams. I think there's more pride in community, and and I, I hope that they can get there, brother. Yeah, you know what? It's all about how you sell it, right? So the bottom line is the team has to sell itself, and the, that success or lack of it obviously speaks volumes. So, you know, I don't know where the priorities would lie, but there's no question. You you have to you have to foster a culture that players not only do they want to be there, and listen, you've got guys from all over the world and the game has gotten much you know, much grander, right? Yeah. Players from all different regions and southern southern Florida, Atlanta, California, Texas, players that were never drafted out of those regions before are now being drafted. The Canadian if it was 80% Canadian when I started, it's probably under 50% or thereabouts. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, it's under 50, yeah. Bottom line is, listen, it's great. I got to play in some really nice destinations after Buffalo. Great cities. Vancouver's one. Denver, Colorado, amazing with the avalanche. Phoenix, Anaheim, where I had an unbelievable run, and it was just you know playing on a just an amazing team and a great group of players and people. But... There's a lot of challenges to, to northern climates because, you know, if yeah. free agents look into, you know, see something different because it's also an experience. It's not necessarily it should all become and come down to the, the hockey. But when you actually start weighing out pros and cons, a free agent, depending on his situation and his age, you know, may select somewhere different. Maybe not because he didn't want to come to Buffalo or Toronto or Edmonton. Maybe it's because, hey, I've got five years left of this wonderful game. Maybe I can, you know, see what it's like to go live down in one of these other climates, a Carolina, a Florida, a Nashville. So, I mean, and then there's money involved with taxes and there's so many, right? It's not about people, you know, shunning a certain location. Bottom line, though, is you have to develop that culture. And as a former player, as a guy that I think I, I know what I'm talking about, um, you could do that in Timbuktu. And have yeah. an amazing team and an amazing time. I can live anywhere. I could. It doesn't matter whether it's snow up to your eyeballs or you know sunshine all day long. It. I could play hockey anywhere because it's a great game. It's just you want to hang and do it with the guys that are are like-minded. And what's the culture, right? And you could take any of those wonderful locations. Not saying Buffalo's not one of them, but the better you know geographic locations. And if you had a, just a bunch of random guys that don't not not get along, because I think we all get along, but that you have different philosophies and and whatever, however the team would be built, that place would be a miserable place to play too if you don't have yeah. those relationships and 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 experiences. So, um, yeah, I think for for Buffalo, there it's obviously going to be a grind to get back to that level, 
but it does take time. But I'll tell you one thing, you know how you do it? You win, but how do you win? You draft well and you can't get it wrong. You have to make right, the right trades. Um, you know, you got And speaking of all that. I think Alex Tuck's going to do a great job in Buffalo. He may never be the same player as, as Jack Eichel, but all of a sudden the sum of all its parts, right? Peyton Krebs yeah. could turn to, you know, we'll still find out what type of player he'll become. And then they get a first round draft pick as well. And who's that going to be right along yeah. Uh, an Owen Power, who, in my, I just, I haven't seen a lot of him, but I Neither saw him in juniors for a few games before it was canceled this past year. Um, he's going to be like an, uh, uh, a headman in, in Tampa. He's six foot five. He can bomb it from the point. He can jump up in the rush. He can skate with the best guys. And he's got a little bite to his game, apparently. Um, there's a guy, maybe that's the future captain, but he's going to grow yeah. into it bit for you know the next few years and i don't think you give these guys certainly on a team like buffalo as it sits um the captaincy right away unless it's completely warranted i think you gotta hey you know dangle it out in front of there and see who's going to step forward and not only perform to their you know best of their ability but um do all the other things that are necessary in that location and it is community the neighborhood in buffalo the people of buffalo Look, if you watch the, as a Bills fan, Bills Nation, yeah. Sabres, Sabres can have an unbelievable following, and they do. I think people are just a little upset at this point. But um, if if you, if that player, whoever that would be, and I don't want to put pressure on Owen Power, but if it's him or the next guy, um, it's an honor to actually be that guy or be a part of that group. And um, you have to resonate with the fan base. And yes. You know, and, and that's the cool part. And I hope those, these young players understand that. It's not just about putting your skates on and trying your best. Because, try, you know, the word, I, one thing I understood and learned early on in my career, if you say the word try, like I, I'm trying or I tried my best or, you know, I tried. Well, try is for losers because you either do or you don't, right? So that's, I, right. that's the thing. You got to get rid of certain, certain words out of your vocabulary because um, it sets the tone. So I would like nobody to ever say they tried again because the, the, the truth is you either do or you don't. And it may come quickly or it may come later, but you got to keep going. You got to keep persevering. Right on, man. Amen to that. I hope all the listeners were paying close attention to that because that that's really, really important stuff. And I, I definitely appreciate you saying that, Mayday. Um, we're definitely going to get back to Buffalo. I got a smile on my face right now, Mayday, because I'm excited to talk about the beginnings for you because you're a big character, dude. And, and with my huge characters, I love to talk about how they grew up. Now, I know that you were technically born in Toronto, but you grew up in the town of Markham though, right? Mayday? Yeah. Yes. And, and if forever, and I don't know, I don't know if I'm, the first time I ever filled out the forum of like where you're from, like when you got to Buffalo and it, it just, yeah. I think it's always, a, it's always said I'm from Toronto, but I said that because okay. people be like, where's Markham? And I don't ever want to answer that. You know, at the time I'm like, listen, you know where Toronto is. I'm from that area. Good enough. Um, I'm not from Toronto, um, from Markham and Stouffville, which is even a smaller town, yep. but effectively they're the same place now because of the growth of, of that whole area, greater Toronto. Um, I grew up in Goodwood, which was even a smaller 500 people or whatever it is, farming community, 10 minutes north northeast of Stouffville. My parents split up when I was 10 years old. Fantastic people. They just didn't see eye at eye anymore, and they yep. moved on. Um, 
Um, they took great care of my brother and I. Um, yeah, it, you know what? Great. So that's how I grew up. There's a little bit of, you know, there was, you had to persevere. It, it doesn't work. I mean, I, I feel bad for, for, for some, you know, I say some, all kids that don't have two parents or two active yep. parents don't necessarily have to live in the same household, um, but they have to be engaged and, and help you. I, and I'm, I'm proud to say that I never went without for anything. Um, when I was 22 years old, um, I found out I had a sister, which is an unbelievable story. I found out I had a sister, 22 and a half years old. My mother comes down. My sister is my blood sister. My mom and dad had a baby in the 60s. And through their upbringing at back then, they, they, they felt at that time they couldn't do it to get, you know, at that time they weren't married. Um, yeah. That was a big deal back then. Um, so yes, my mother, it was. But my mother, what a, what, a, what a warrior she is. She had, you know, she... She went, she did put, put her daughter up for adoption. Um, obviously very hurtful. And, and the only two people in the world, which is sad about the whole story, is, is nobody else knew. I think my mom's best friend did, but nobody else in the world ever knew. Their parents wow. never knew, their other friends never knew. And um, my mom and dad got married three years later, had my brother and I, unbelievable run, you know, together. And it just, you know, that their, their relationship ended, but... Um, I'm 22 years old. My mom comes down and, and, and lays this information on me. I meet my sister in Toronto two weeks later. It was, it was actually the day before my birthday, and I played in Toronto on November 29th, my birthday. I met my sister at dinner at my, my, my mother's house with my family. Um, unbelievable. She looks like us. She acts like <laughs> us. She's unbelievable. What a great, great, great girl, big sister. And um, so my family, we could actually – you know, be on one of those talk shows, right? For a whole week, you, yeah. every, every, every situation um, that we've gone through, but very, very, I don't know, it molds you. Right. Um, but we have a great relationship going forward to this day. Um, my parents were awesome. My grand, you know, family, right. Family is, is a big deal and you need family and you need the, and if it's not immediate, you need mentors or, or, guardians that are going to take you to the ice, you know, to the arenas, drive you around tournaments, pay for things. You know what? It's not an, it's not a, not an inexpensive sport to play. Right. So, um, you need, you need oh, yeah. a lot of help. So with, with that being said, I was 13 years old. I, I played, I got cut from the double a team in Markham, which it just, you know, I never played triple a tournaments. So never went to the peewee tournament that I believe you did. Cause yep. you played, you played in Toronto and, Yep. You know, in, in the GTA there and um, or MTHL, I think it was called it. MTHL at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, so I never had those experiences. But you know what? The, the smaller tournaments and if you're good enough, they're going to find you, you know. But I played house league hockey when I was 13 and I played house league, house league hockey when I was 14 years old, which means effectively wow. playing with brand new, you know, beginner hockey players or guys that are, you know, frankly, terrible at the game, right? Like not terrible, but just not very, certainly not. I know what you mean. And, but those experiences were the greatest thing. Five years later, I was a first round draft pick to the national hockey league. So don't tell me again, I tried hard. No, you know what? At the end of the day, there's no excuses. You have, you have two choices, North or South and, you know, directions to go. And I think all these little stumbling blocks and, and failures or they're not failures. Nothing's a failure, but, but all these, these uh, um, experiences that 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 you did not succeed, mm-hmm. right? 
I, I, I'm, a, I'm a quote guy too, right? So the yeah. definition of success is a realization of a predetermined goal. So you can be successful in anything you want to do. Just set your goals, you know, um, achieve, at an achievable level. And then once you get, once you, once you start being successful, listen, I want to walk to the store to get a, you know, a can of Coke. I get to the store, I buy a can of Coke. I'm successful in that endeavor, right? And yeah. if the more successes that you have, it breeds success, right? Success breeds success. So anyways, with all that being said, the, I, I, I was, I had, I had great teammates in junior, I had great teammates in Buffalo with, from the likes of Pat LaFontaine, who's a dear friend to this day, Dale Howarchuk, who just recently passed away, one of the greatest you know, big brothers you could ever have and just fantastic. But like Colin Patterson and Dave Anderchuk and Randy Hillier and Rob Ray and all these players, Dave Hannon, Wayne Presley, Bob Sweeney, I can go on and on about these guys that left an indelible mark on me. And a lot of times I'm doing things, I think of these guys at different situations, whether driving in a car and not doing something wrong, you know, um, eating the right foods, whatever it is. And I'm 50 years old and I still think back at those those moments where it changed for me, you know, as small as, the, as, as these things would be, who, who actually made the difference, right? Who, who left that impression on you? And I try to impart that on my kids and whoever else I come by. But um, the game of hockey is, in my estimation, it's the best because you can't do it alone. You can't win alone. And you have to be part of the team. And being part of a team is maybe one of the greatest things that could ever come out of this life. I, you know what? Like, I agree a hundred percent, and I'm really happy to hear you say that, man. Because like, I, I honestly have feelings that are so similar to the things that you were just saying, and, and it's a beautiful thing at the end of the day, brother. Because that's what it really is all about. Now, it's funny that you brought up the, the team because, like, th- this story is even better for me because you're telling me, buddy, you played house league when you were 14 years old, right? So. When did you finally make the Markham Majors Triple A team? Never did. How old were you? you never did. Well, we never, we, we were never, sorry, I shouldn't say it like that because our double A team was the best players in Markham. Now, okay. Mark, Markham, the city of Markham, the way it is today, where other players like Steven Stamkos and, and I, and I don't want to miss anybody, but him being like the cream of the crop from that area. Yeah. Markham, the city of Markham became Markham the town of Markham that I came from, Unionville and Thornhill, which is was probably even bigger than Unionville and Markham. Well, that's now all Markham. So it went from being 30, 25,000 people to being over 100,000. It might even be over 300,000 today, the city of Markham. So not to mention Markham Waxers or whatever they're called today. Um, yeah. Were, have been amalgamated. They've, they've actually been part of the AAA loop, you know, the Toronto teams and everything else yep. where – I, I was part of a smaller town that that traveled with. We played against Pickering and Oshawa. A lot of good yep. players out of these places that I played against. Adam Foote, Keith Primo, you know, our two guys. Chris Snell played with me in the World Juniors. Um, a lot of players, but Peterborough Peets. So we were in a different loop altogether. So um, I came back. I did play midget double A with the best team that Markham could field. But I went from, I want to say, I... I went from that year, this, the 14 or this turning 15 or whatever it was, and I played junior B for half the year. In junior B, we played against the Wexford Raiders, right? Yeah. Who, who played for Wexford. Um, yeah. They, 
they were in the, the, the Metro Junior B League at the time, yeah. along with Henry Carr and St. Mike's and, and, and Markham. Pickering Panthers. And so that, that, that loop, but I didn't, I only played a minute a game and got my head shaved and I was young. I think I was grade nine or 10. Cause I'm a young guy. I'm a late birthday. So yeah. whatever it was, I think it was, might've been my grade 10 year and I show up with a bald head and they shave my eyebrow and, you know, <laughs> we can get into hazing at another time. But um, yeah. with that being said, just, you know what? I, I, I love talking about it. I love it's talking great. about it. Yeah. yeah. What I wanted to talk to you about was, was the Niagara Falls Thunder. I've heard from several sources, including Steve Ludzig and others, just how historical, really rich the culture is for that team. Now, what was the situation of you going there, Mayday? Like, 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 what was the draft status? Were you a walk-on? Did you did you jump up in the draft that year? Like, like, what was the scenario going in? I love the I love it. And forgive me, I talk a lot, right? So. <laughs> no, I love it, man. Talk as much as you need to, buddy. So when I moved moved to Markham, my parents had split. I'm 10 years old. I I go down to Markham, which was 20 minutes down the road where my mother grew up. And anyways, we're living in a townhouse. My mom, my brother, and I, and um. I make the team, and the team is coached by a guy, Mike Primo, who is Keith Primo and Wayne Primo's father. So okay. Keith and I are born like five days apart. We're late late birthdays. We played together in Markham. Unbelievable, right? Comes up to my draft year, which was, I guess I'm 16 years old, I guess, at that time. Yep. Yeah, I, I would have been 16. And um, that year, Keith had already played one year. He was an underage pick. Um, to the Hamilton Steelhawks. So he had already played one year in Hamilton. Yeah. You know, I was back playing midget hockey. So um, Keith was obviously, he was ended up being a third overall draft pick to the Detroit Red Wings, right? So, but, yeah. so I got picked, I was in the sixth round. I was the ninth pick by the Hamilton Steelhawks. So there's eight guys picked that draft prior to me. And I think it was a run like three play, three players in a row who they selected. And I was the third in the sixth round. So the ninth oh. guy are from from Niagara or from Hamilton. That summer, about a month later, I'm you know dreaming about playing at Cops Coliseum and you know working out. However you did it back then, thinking I'm going to play in Cops Coliseum hopefully, and that's where they had the Canada Cup and Gretzky Lemieux and and they moved to Niagara Falls. They announced it. The ownership changed. They moved to Niagara Falls. Became the Niagara Falls Thunder their first year. So, oh, so okay. My, which. If you go, I love history. So the history of the, the Steelhawks, they were the Brantford Alexanders and the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds prior to that. As as oh. the late camp comes that way, and the Niagara Falls Thunder today are the Erie Otters. So okay. Niagara, but that came from Mississauga, the Ice Dogs, Don Cherry. Yeah. Team. They, they yeah. moved there after the void of Niagara Falls Thunder leaving the Erie. So anyways, I'm in Niagara Falls. I'm a ninth pick. Call me a ninth round pick, doesn't matter. And I show up to training camp, you know, with 70 other guys and, you know, 15 of them were already on the team probably and rolled in there and hadn't been in a fight in my life and, or other than my brother every day. And um, I trained, I took Taekwondo all summer, which I, I, I strongly, I think the discipline and the workout and everything else, but I took Taekwondo and I got in a fight training camp and I won. I don't, I can't remember who the, whatever the first one, whether it was good or bad, but I was in the fight and I end up, I, whatever earned my way into the first exhibition game, which was at Chesswood arenas in Toronto. 
I yeah. guess Marley's because the Toronto Marley's ended up leaving and became the Hamilton Dukes a year later. But playing against the Toronto Marley's, I get in a fight with a guy named John Blum, I believe his name was. Really big dude. And um, I did pretty good. And okay, so now whatever else happens, I, I sign a two-way card. The first weekend of the year, we had we had games, and then I I, I signed a two-way card which said, you know, you're not going to be in the OHL the whole year. You're going to play some junior B games with the Hamilton Canucks. So it was a Wednesday night, but we had guys suspended from going and doing something stupid the first weekend of the season. Yeah. And, so I got another three games to play in Niagara Falls before I was going to play probably, you know, a dozen games in junior B before he got called up again. But the promise from Bill LaForge, my coach, was you're going to play about 30 to 35 games and, you know, play, develop and play down, um, you know, with the, with the junior B team. Well, so happens on Thursday night, we played in the, the North Bay Centennials and they got three players that are six foot five. They got Sean Antosky. They got a guy named Mark Major. Mark Major. I heard about him. Right. And they had a guy named John Van Kessel. John Van Kessel just came back from the um, LA Kings training camp. I believe he was a third round draft pick. He had just got back and these guys were running around. Well, we win the game, which was awesome. We had that. We ended up having the best team in Canada for a long while that year. But Brian Fogarty broke Bobby Orr's record. Stan Drulia got the all time record of points in the OHL. We had, we effectively, we had seven or eight, first round draft picks, you know, to the national hockey league that played on that team. But, and, and, and me being one of them, but certainly at that time, no. So I go to train, I go to practice on a Wednesday night after we already had practice with the thunder and I practice with the, the Hamilton Canucks, or uh, excuse me, the Niagara Falls Canucks, but I have to play Thursday night against North Bay. So late, late in the game, I'm sitting on the bench beside the first rounder, Mark Lawrence. And I'm like, Hey, wouldn't it be great to fight that guy? You know, one of those, because this guy was running around just terrorizing our team. And my coach, Bill LaForge, heard me. Imagine this, right? Unintended consequences, right? Like, he hears me say this. And he says to me, he goes, hey, Brad, you you want him? And I'm like, what are you going to say? I'm not going to say no. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, all right, get over the boards. So I jump over the boards. And as I'm skating to the pie or, like, to the faceoff, he's like, hey, hey. And I look over my shoulder with my bad mullet, right? Acne, acne face. And, and I look at him and, and, and he says, watch out. He's a lefty. And I don't know what the hell that means other than this, that could be bad. Right? So I, I, I get to the face off long story short, we get in a fight with this guy, six foot five, I'm 170 pounds, maybe like, like with rocks in my pockets. Like I'm not a, not a big guy at that time. And two minutes later after the fights ended there's blood like we're, i'm wearing a white shirt and my white shirt is like crimson like every, <laughs> like there's blood everywhere and i go into the locker room because i get kicked out of the game and the trainer's like he's he's worried he's like are, what are you okay he asked me and i'm like and i wipe my face and i'm like i think i am just like that other than like being tired heavy breathing and it all of that was not mine who's so, yeah so I did really, really good, like really good. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to make fun of John Van Kessel. No, I get it. This guy was legit. But I had a great moment. It was my coming out party. So the next day, I show up to the – we're playing Kitchener the next night. Afternoon, after school, we go to the you know the arena, pack our bag, put it on the bus to drive to Kitchener. 
and it's a Friday night, and they have a player there called Rob Sangster, and he he led the OHL in penalty minutes that year, like 400 yeah. minutes or something like that. Jeez. I had, and I think I was number two with like 300 and something. But yeah, 304. That that yeah. night, 304. So that night. So that afternoon, just prior to getting on the bus, Bill calls me in, into his office, our coach, Bill LaForge, and he's and he looks at me and he goes, Sugar? I don't know who Sugar is. So he, he nicknamed me Sugar Ray from the night before. He okay. goes, Sugar? And he, and he grabs it. And it used to be like one of those old, no, like the kids won't understand this, but it was a carbon copy kind of thing that the card you used to sign, right? Yeah. Almost like yep. you're at a gas station way back when, right? And he grabs the paper and he goes, and he rips the the card I signed, or like the 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 shuttle, the two way, the two way. He rips it yeah. up. And goes, you're here, you're here to stay. And yeah. And and I never looked back. And I got in 54 fights, and I played on you know in a in a grinding role for that team. And we had six guys with in the top 10 scoring, or five guys in the top 10 scoring in the league. So he he basically set the plan. He's like, you're not draftable for another year. You're gonna do what I say. Whatever oh, because it was late birthday. Late birthday, so I can't get drafted oh, until the year. So he's like, Look, right. you, you'll kill penalties. You know, you, you won't play some night. You know, you'll play, but you're not going to play a lot of minutes some nights, depending on the thing, because I've got guys that are running, you know, that are really good, and this is their time, certainly the drafted or draftable players. And we ended up losing in the OHL final. But it's funny, right? Again, I these experiences that a lot of people would probably, you know, I, I I can say this now because I was successful in that, but but a lot of these these trying moments are moments where you either dig in or you quit, you know, or you give up. And and I don't know. I think it's a collection of all of that. But that's my story in Niagara Falls. That's how I made it. I certainly I wasn't penciled in to make it, you know, certainly not in ink. And, um, you know, you just got you got to make your way. You got to do whatever it takes. So, um yeah, a lot of nights that you were scared scared to death, you know, going into certain arenas because you maybe you didn't have the energy that day or whatever. Yep. But yeah, you know what? There's no excuses. So that's that's my start, and I'm actually awfully proud of it. Like yourself, like every other player that made it, there's certain moments that are watershed moments that if that moment didn't happen, things could have went completely sideways, right? And that that moment of getting that card and maybe that gave me the courage to fight the next night that I otherwise wouldn't have, you know, or whatever. And yeah. talking about fighting, of course, the game's changed and, and it should and whatever. I miss it. I, I'm the one guy. I don't know how I loved it. I loved every bit of it. Um, certain days I didn't cause you know, you're afraid or, you know, you got beat up the night before or whatever, but um, very, very, I miss that part of the game because it meant a lot to me, but also my teammates back then, but that's the way the game was played. It was, organized that way right teams had four or five guys on each bench for energy and for, today when you say for energy people you know maybe don't understand it because the game is different you know and yes. you get energy after off of dumb penalty and you score a power play goal that's where energy comes from or a block shot it doesn't come from fights necessarily so i understand mm-hmm. that but but i'm i'm really excited that i can actually say that i was part of you know two decades of hockey that was actually a lot of fun to play and and Mayday, you're absolutely right, and and you should scream it out loud because I'm telling you, man, it's a celebration. I try to tell certain guests that I have on my show. I mean, Brad May, 
you know, understand that that you're in the top 40 all time for penalty minutes, right? You know that you're number 37, right? Yeah. You know that you, you know that there's only what what is there? There's there's 357 players. That's it. That have played a thousand games. That's it. You're in a very very small like like very very special group, right? Now you, saying that, you know, those are just stats. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, please. No, no, you know, you know what's amazing about that. And thank you. I was the 241st guy to do it. 241st wow. At the end of 2009. And um, so since then, there's been a, a few, but there's been a few. And I think that you know the longevity of the game changing, you know, from being so physical to, to you yeah. know, or, or it's still it's still like excruciating for for players, right? I mean, it's a tough schedule, but. Um, 241st, but the coolest part of that moment in Toronto, my hometown, or, you know, very close to being my hometown, um, I got traded to the Leafs and Red Kelly, the late Red Kelly, gave me that silver stick that Wayne Simmons just got, right? Yeah. Uh, Red Kelly presented that to me. Red Kelly was the first Toronto Maple Leaf to play a thousand games, you know, wow. or play, play his thousandth game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Red Kelly was number one. I was number 21 in Toronto. Imagine that. The, the Leafs have been around over a hundred years. There's a, wow. well, I, think, I think now there might be about 27 or eight guys now. Cause there's been a few since I had the honor to actually stand at center ice, but um, the 21st guy in a, in, in a 90 year period, pretty cool. You know, yeah. it's, and, and, it's extremely cool. Yeah. It's Thank extremely you. cool. So now, so now maybe here's the thing though, there's, there's history in every sport. Hockey is such a unique sport, bro, with how the how our game has developed, how it's changed. There were certain years that contributed to our game changing big time. And I think the biggest year was the 2004-2005 lockout when yep. the players came back. And as soon as you touched a guy, any part of his body with your stick, it's a penalty. As soon as you, you know, gave an extra shot in front of the net, all of a sudden those are penalties that never existed before. You you could hook a guy, and if you weren't doing it too, too bad, it wasn't a penalty. You could punch a guy as hard as you could right in the face, and as long as it was a high-intense part of the game, the ref wouldn't call it. Yeah. Our, the game was very different. Now, now, Mayday, when you played, I believe – those were like the golden years, okay? Ew. I I try to man, I try to preach to people the 80s and 90s, okay? That was the time when our beautiful game, who's struggling so much now in the United States in popularity and in TV ratings and this and that, and and we can get into that, but our beautiful game was at its highest goals per game and its highest fights per game. So what does that tell me, Mayday? That tells me that our game was entertaining. It was high scoring. It was lots of action. There was rivalry. There was buildup. There was there was the the oh my god! I wonder who they're gonna start tomorrow night. Do, do you think Buffalo's gonna start Ray May and Barnaby? Oh man! It, like the, the game's missing that, right? I and, and and it was so important when you played. It was yes. It it really was important. Um, call it a sideshow, but it really, it was a big part of, of the energy in those buildings on a Tuesday night in November or January or February. <laughs> and back, back then that was 1992, 93, the highest scoring year, right? 
Um, Mario Lemieux won the scoring race. Pat Lafontaine came second. Dougie Gilmore, Howard Chuck, Adam Oates all had a hundred hundreds of points, 120 or 15 points. It was unreal. I think there was over 10 guys with over a hundred points that year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Here's the thing. The new, the, the new players, the younger generation, it has changed. I'm okay with that, but do a little homework. Don't just look back. And by the way, yeah, on TV, it looks different, right? Camera angles have changed. The players, of course, are better today, 100%, like every yeah. sport. Golfers are better. Football players are in better shape and faster and stronger. You know, the, all of sport is better. But we had a great time back then, and it was I, – I remember where you're going into certain places and certain <clears throat> arenas, depending who was there exactly, where you're like, oh, my God, I hope he got hurt yesterday. You know, like <laughs> – like and but it was it was it was palpable you could really feel it and you could feel that yeah. um you know the the game i think is in a great place globally i think it, it really is but um for me i i just i i would say that passion is displayed differently right i'm not a part of it i'm not a player anymore so it's not my game it's not our game anymore it's the young young guys that are playing it today or yeah. some of the old guys and they have the ability to change these things if they really wanted to. Um, yeah. I, I, I think if you look at what how these guys skate, truly in 1990-91 when I, when I started, 91 season, um, some defensemen really couldn't skate backwards. Like could not start skating backwards and get up to top speed. You know, they would turn and skate forwards and then pivot, you know, to get back into the play. They even say that where today, I mean, the defensemen and play, like players, they're so good at what they do, right? So yeah. there's so much to, 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 to really gravitate to for the sport. I know the world's changed and everything else, but it's people look at it as violent. I don't, it's not as bad as what, what it appears to be, especially when you're in tune to what the game is, right? Those hits, yeah, they hurt. Yeah, it hurts. And it's, it hurts maybe if you, but if, if you're going to get hurt fighting, then, Work hard and not get hurt, right? Yeah. Get back, be smarter. Do pick your spot better, whatever it is. So um, I think there's there's always a, a room or availability to change and and, and to kind of morph into whatever has to be. But I love the game of hockey as we're here, sitting here. Um, can't wait to see what what teams are gonna you know emerge come the playoffs. But then there's nothing better than the first round of the playoffs. I agree with you 100%, and it's going to be really exciting to talk playoffs. What I want to ask you, though, Mayday, is because it's awesome that you had an opportunity to be a first-rounder, right? It's different when you're a first-rounder compared to the rest of the draft, especially when you're in the first part of the draft. Now, I want to talk about the 1990 draft. First of all, the year that you had your draft year for Niagara, like, I just want... I want the listeners to kind of understand. So we talked about the first year. This guy steps in. He takes the role of enforcer his first year in major junior. Gets over 300 penalty minutes, over 50 fighting majors, you said. Right, Mayday? Yes. 50 fighting majors? 54. (laughs) That's incredible. Took everybody on. Now you come in your draft year. You're a veteran now. Dude. 
61 games, 33 goals, 58 assists, 91 points, still putting up a strong 223 penalty minutes. That is a very, very golden draft year stat right there, my friend. That is well-deserving of a very, very high draft selection. How high were you rated that year? Like, how? what was the excitement like? Were you a first-rounder the whole year? Did you move up? What was Central Scouting all about that year? So I never had an agent. Never had wow. an agent until, until the, that Christmas. So it was my second year in junior. Um, I, I had met with a number of, you know, really nice men that – and in that case, they were all men. So, but that, that that came to my house and you know, talked to mom and dad, and we we just said, listen, this is not even part of it. You got to go and do it. You know, whatever. It's not important at this moment. I mean, you can have an agent and play like shit and never get drafted. So, exactly. Line, you got to go play, right? So, but it was around Christmas time um, is when I actually you know made a choice on my agent, and that was um, Pat Morris. Oh, right on. Um, and Don Meehan from Newport Sports. Um, they, they, and they have a number of players and many, many players over the years, but, um, that was the first time. So I got invited to the Toronto Maple Leaf game. It was my Chris, it was like December 22nd or something like that, whatever it was. So I come home from Niagara Falls. I went to, I went to the game, um, Maple Leaf Gardens afterwards, my agent or soon to be agent, Pat Morris and Donnie, um, took me out for uh, drinks they had drinks, but took me out afterwards. Um, Where'd you go? Do you remember? Um, we went. I want to say we went to PM Toronto's or something like that. It was right on College Street, but it was like right whatever, on. Um, whatever restaurant was. Wendell Clark, Joey Kosher, and Brent Fedick. They because the Detroit Red Wings were playing Toronto that night, and I'm sitting at this table. I'm not drafted yet, right? I got six more months to wait. I don't know. So at this moment, I know that there, I. I I'm getting, you know, they're, they're starting to talk. I'm playing on the left wing with Keith Primo, who I think he had 130 or 125 points that year. And he, <laughs> it was him and Mike Ricci, you know, from the Ontario Hockey League and Owen Noll. And all, the three of them were like, you know, touted and probably helped us, right? The rest of my team, because, you know, scouts are in the building to see what Primo's doing. And then yeah, all of a sudden, everybody's see, coming. Um, no, knowing all that, um, I got to meet Wendell. And I got to meet Joey Kosher and Brent Fedick. And the conversation wow. I had at dinner, you know, my dinner, but for them, it was just after the game, whatever it was. Um, Joey, Joey said, whatever you do, kid, he goes, don't don't spend all your energy. Don't waste your hands in junior. Because there's going to be a hell of a lot of fighting to do when, when and if you make it to the National Hockey League or pro. So I heard that and I'm like, whoa, geez, you know, and Joey's got like mangled hands, right? Tough. I think he's one of the toughest could be of all time that could, could be considered the toughest of all time. Right. Yeah. Like in that conversation. And yeah. of course his teammate, Bob Probert would be, the, would be the King. Right. At yeah. that. But um, I think Joey, I think Bob got more fights in many cases because nobody wanted to fight Joey. That's how no one him. wanted him. Yeah. So, but then, and then you got Wendell Clark, who's like the pride of Toronto. And of course we all grew up watching him and, and it was a cool moment for me. So, that probably sold me on my agent. And then from that point on, um, I want to say I, I met with, I think at the time it was 21 NHL teams. I think it was 21. Okay. Uh, maybe 22 teams. And I interviewed with 15 of them going into the draft, but I was probably projected somewhere in the first round, but I didn't know where really. 
I can't remember what central scouting had of that, but I know I had interviews with, with some teams that it was, it was actually apparent that, Oh my gosh, I'm meeting with the New York Islanders and they were picking number six. They ended up picking a guy named Scott Sissons, but um, I know that those interviews, they wouldn't have, they weren't interviewing you. You know what I mean? To, yeah. They, there was an opportunity maybe, or they, at least doing their homework. So um, the New Jersey devils were picking number 10 or 11, which I believe they picked Brodeur that, um, that, that's that spot. Um, the New York Rangers were picking 12th and I had a great interview with um, David McNabb. And honestly, when, when they, they selected a kid named Michael Stewart out of college, but that was the first time in the draft where, you know, you don't want to take anything for granted, but when they selected Michael Stewart, I remember feeling sitting beside my my family and and my girlfriend, who's my wife today of 28 years. Wow. Uh, sitting beside them, like our family and, and Bridget, and and that was the first time I was like, oh my God, my heart dropped. And so now when I watch the draft, like I'm saying about you know having the ability to talk to whoever it is, right? All all ages or all all players. Yes, I got picked shortly thereafter, but I had that letdown. And you hear about these players that sit all day into the second day and some players don't get drafted. You know what? It, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's what you do when you are selected, right? Whatever number that ends up being. But, um, but yeah, anyways, I got drafted to Buffalo in that trade and it was unreal. It was, um, it was, I, I, I remember it. I, I, when I'm telling the story, I can remember exactly how I was feeling. So where was the draft? Vancouver. Vancouver. It was in Vancouver. So in obviously you went. Yeah. Oh yeah, I flew out to Vancouver. They they it was the first year I believe that they televised the NHL draft. So TSN. No way. Had, I think it was. If I may be wrong, but I think it was the first time. And they they filmed the first day, and I want to say the draft ended, or the or the, or the wind uh, the window of TV ended after like the 16th pick or something. So some players got got screwed over because they you know, moved into the next day or whatever. But yeah. I, I made the window of time and that was, yeah. Right. Grandma and grandpa back home watching on TSN. And, um, oh, but man. I was in Vancouver. Oh, that's so awesome. Do you remember that night going out after like, so it's not a kid friendly show maybe, but um, <laughs> I do. I remember exactly where we went. Went, we went to a place called Richard on Richards, which was Dick on Dicks, who was the, the nickname. And it was, yes, so it was on Richard Street. Anyways, it was a great bar. All the all hockey players know it. But I remember going there afterwards um, with a bunch of the guys that got drafted and, and my brother and, and his buddy and my girlfriend. And it, it was unreal. It was unreal. And, yes, we did drink. Probably shouldn't have, obviously. Oh, I mean. But. Yeah, it, you know what? It was an unbelievable celebration. I do remember going back to a hotel, though, like a few hours after the draft, um, where we met all the other players that were selected. Because after I was picked, after doing some interviews and stuff, you just want to go and hang with your family. I think we took off and had lunch or something. Other players were picked, right? So we all got, were able to congregate in the one room as Buffalo Sabres and, and you know, kind of converse. And then, you know what? compete against one another in three months, right? When training camp yeah. started. So yeah. it was cool. I got to meet like the, the brass in Buffalo. And again, talking about the, the the legacy of Buffalo, the guys that were around were Craig Ramsey. He just he just won a medal, I believe, with the Slovak team, right? Um yeah. in, in the Olympics. 
He was a head coach, but he was on, on the scouting staff. Don Luce, Larry Carrier, Jerry Meehan. Great. And they're all great Buffalo Sabres players. Yes. And, yeah. And they were all community. Another guy named Rudy Mige. He was a big, big guy in, in, in you know, management. Um, it was just a cool time to be selected. I think every year would be for, you know, and every kid has their own story. But um, the neat thing for me, which really brought it home, is I, I played junior hockey in Niagara Falls, man. You know, 25 minutes. It was like I was picked by the hometown team. And, yeah. You know, other than being Toronto, it was it, it would be, you know, the, it was the closest to where I played junior hockey and became a player. So, yeah, I, I'm grateful for Buffalo for sure. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. But but that see, see, that part is, is, is some of the things that that I want to magnify because I don't think people understand how big that region is. That Niagara Falls, St. Catharines, Welland, all the way up to Burlington, man, all the way up to Oakville, let's say. I man, when I was when I was in the organization that was all Saber territory. Yeah. Training camp was Niagara on the Lake, St. Catharines every year. You know, um, man, it was so awesome, Mayday. It was so awesome. And 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 I just can't wait till the team's good again and, and the respect comes back. And then they start doing like the little inside stories and, and people just start learning because it's such a rich history mayday. And like, I believe that when you were there, I think that that was like, like, I, like, I know they were good, like in the beginning and stuff like that. Don Luce was a huge part of, of my journey as well. Um, I think that when you got there though, at the, the Buffalo Memorial auditorium, you know, Teddy Nolan, you know, when Razor got on the team, when Barnaby finally got on the team, the passion that was in that arena, the odd, man, I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think. That's got to be one of the richest hockey eras in hockey. Don't you think, buddy, when you first started with the Sabres? I, you know, yeah, I think, I think from small teams or small towns, the Winnipeg Jets would be considered one of those. The St. Louis Blues and the Buffalo. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Obviously, the the leagues expand and it's bigger, but those three markets are are really really integral to the National Hockey League. And thank goodness Winnipeg got a team back right after. Yeah. You know them leaving, but um, but with St. Louis and Buffalo, very very similar. I mean, St. Louis is a bigger bigger city, but um, yeah, the history and and the cool part too, and because it's not all about hockey, that, 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 that neighborhood or that area, the Buffalo Bills went to four Super Bowls. Yes, they didn't win, but it was absolutely, like it was electric for four years um, in Buffalo. And that's when I got there. Yeah. So, yes. you know, you're a young hockey player, you know, having a great time. And then you get, get to meet, you get invited to an event. You're meeting Jim Kelly and Bruce Smith and Thurman Thomas and other players. Yeah. It was, and these guys are like, you know, household names on Sundays and, it was like there was a real pride, and it was fun. And and we actually we hung out with a bunch of these guys. Glenn Parker was a offensive guard for the Bills for many years. He went to six Super Bowls himself, um, even after Buffalo. I think he went one with New York and one with Kansas City, possibly, or two with New York. Yep. Great guy, great friend, great ally. Don Beebe, Pete Metzelars, all these guys. Um, Steve Christie, the kicker from Oakville. Oh yeah. And and and. and those guys, albeit 
the NFL much larger than the, than the NHL. They were they were Saber fans, and they would show up, you know, when they could, and they'd watch us, and they'd cheer us on, and we'd go out after. It was it was a really cool time to be a be a hockey player in Buffalo. So now uh, I, I I'm asking for myself and for the listeners because I mean even me, a guy that got drafted by Buffalo, that was in the beginning, somewhat the beginning of HSBC Arena, right? So I never I never saw the odd. I've never stood foot in that in that arena. But but I've seen video and I've heard so many stories, man. And is the odd is it similar to to what Maple Leaf Gardens was? It, did it have a different feel? Was it louder? How would you compare those two arenas? You know what? I, I, I'm again the golden age, right? You were talking about. So I got to play in the Chicago Stadium, the old Chicago Stadium. Oh man! You know, I mean the. The locker rooms, or certainly the visitors' locker room, was terrible, right? It was, <laughs> it was terrible in Buffalo. It was terrible in Montreal. It was terrible yeah. at the Boston Garden, right? In Boston, they had great teams, Ray Bork and and all these great Cam Neely. The Boston Garden with like they're all they were all shitholes. <laughs> if you wanted to compare the venues to today, but they all had their own character. St. Louis had a had a. We only went there once or twice, I think. Um, my first year, but we used to play in the fairgrounds at this arena that had 20,000 seats and it was loud and crazy and just like chaotic, right? When you went there, um, all those buildings have either been torn down or, or they're, you know, mothballed today. Um, but the odd of all of them, I don't care about the other ones. When I say Montreal Forum and Maple Leaf Gardens obviously are amazing, right? But to me, my favorite rink, like of all time is the Buffalo Auditorium. You know, my 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 greatest memory of like individually happened in that arena. But of all the time I spent there, it's my favorite rink of them all. It was a smaller ice surface, like some of the other rinks had. Um, Boston Garden, very similar, but it was it was imposing. I don't think you know visiting teams, they either knew they were coming into Buffalo, they were going to get beat. It, when you had Andrew Chuck, McGillney, Lafontaine, and Howard Chuck, right? Like it's a pretty good lineup up front. Um, you had Dominic Hasek and Grant Fear as goaltenders and Clint Malardruck and Darren Poopoo was a run up runner up for um, the Vesna. Yeah, you were either gonna get beat or you're gonna get beaten up. Now you could choose one or the other, but you weren't gonna get both. You know, you weren't coming into Buffalo and gonna win both those categories. And that was part of the game back then. You could beat us, but we'll beat you up. You know? Or you could beat us up and we'd beat you. Either way, but but there was goal scores and then there, there was, there was chaos. And, and I'm proud to say that you now I was a little brother to, to Rob Ray and Gord Donnelly my first year who took, I'm sure a huge burden off me. You know what it's like to be a, a guy that's relied upon on, in that department. Um, when I didn't have to necessarily worry about Bob Probert because Rob or, or Gord were, I ended up getting Terry Karkner, who was very tough. But I got Terry yep. Carr, not Probert, you know. And when we went into Munch or, or New York at one year, and they had Joey Kosher and Ty Domi, Gord Donnelly and Rob Ray, it was like one, two. They already had their beefs and disputes. And then all I – like, who's number three in New York? I can promise you this. He wasn't number three in Buffalo. You know what I mean? Number three yeah. in Buffalo is going to win every night. You know. Oh, yeah. And, that was the difference. And and and, it, and I also had the ability, I say ability because the coaches gave me it, to either decide to or not because I I, I got to play a little bit more than those guys, you know, for 
So I actually had outs if I needed them, right? And I recognized that I'm not dumb, that sometimes, you know, hey, listen, you're having a good game. I don't have to fight. You know, I don't have to take it into the corner, into the gutter. So some nights I was able to kind of avoid maybe a, a shitty situation, right? And yeah. where, where other players didn't have that luxury. So being a first rounder, maybe all that cu- coupled and combined, you know, afforded me the opportunity to maybe fight on my terms more more than not, where other players were were sometimes, you know, if they wanted to get on the ice, they had to do something, you know? Oh, yeah. So See, now, Mayday, this is what I love about you, because you, you, this is very humble talk, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Now, you're not, I don't find that you're giving yourself enough credit, because, dude, what I see, me being a stack guy, me being the guy that w- when we went into the visitor's dressing room, I was the first guy to grab the stat pack, okay? So that's me, okay? So what I'm seeing is the same thing on on a different level, but the same kind of approach that you did with the same thing in the NHL that you did in major junior, you went above and beyond and took it among yourself to be known as the guy, bro. You come into the NHL and you get 300 penalty minutes your first year, right? I love like it. that's like unheard of maybe. <laughs> I don't think the I, first year. It's I don't know if anybody else has done it. I'm not sure. I don't think so, man. I don't, I don't think so. I could look it up. But I had like, with that being said, I had, I had a great environment around me, right? It was LaFontaine McGillney, who was a young guy, but he was, what a player he was, right? But, but like to the leadership group, guys, Randy Moeller and, and, and um, Dean Kennedy, who was only there for about a month, but I actually, Dean Kennedy is one of my, one of my biggest allies. I don't know if you remember that name. He was a captain of the Winnipeg. Oh yeah. He started. Dean Kennedy took me aside when I was a young guy, when I was, when I first got to Buffalo and he and his wife, Tammy, they were like, listen, like he, they fostered this young guy, you know, um, I, I, I don't want to miss any names. You know, that's the thing when I, when I start talking about, but, but I, there's so many guys that actually did things for me, you know, and that's the way the game was. I'm not, I don't know if it's like that anymore. I don't, cause I'm not in that room every day, but yeah, I had these older players, they, they taught, you know, they taught me, they gave me shit when I, when I'd show up cause I didn't eat breakfast and I ate pizza last night and I show up and I just don't look like I look haggard, you know, ragged. And they're, they're, Hey kid, you're not in junior anymore. Nobody's making your meals. You gotta, you know, you gotta do things for yourself. You gotta do this. If you ever show up like that again, we're going to give it to you. And so it wasn't always like, Hey, give. it was tough love. Right. But I came from a family like that. Every, we, if you care about somebody, right? And I think having that going forward, I'll, it'll never disappear from me. I just want to give back to, to, to the next guy or, or as a 50-year-old now, um, if anybody did want to listen to me, I'm, I, I, I'm all ears and I'm ready. You know what I mean? Like it just, I'll tell you my story. I'll give you my opinion. And I think it's pretty accurate and pretty good advice. The question is, is that, is that young athlete are they willing to put the time in and do what's necessary? That's really at the end of the day, it's, it's, it comes from within, but it, so it's nature versus nurture, right? We've, we've heard that argument. I think it's both. I, I, I think it's both, but um, the actual nature that you're in could be in a toxic environment, toxic lock locker room, 
it's and players don't grow. They won't grow to their potential. And I think that's the problem with t- bad teams or teams that are bad. I shouldn't say bad teams. Teams that are bad, they don't have necessarily those intangibles being taught to them on a daily basis. So that young rookie in a bad situation probably doesn't turn out to be a great veteran in a great situation. You know what I mean? It probably yeah. doesn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mayday, this is another thing I wanted to really ask you, buddy. Now, Mr. Pizzatelli, was he there from your rookie season? Yeah, he was, yes. Okay, perfect. So now, this is another part of the game that I don't believe is the same. The type of camaraderie that's not even just the teammates, the equipment managers, the strength coaches. Man, did the Sabres ever have good ones. And one guy, Mr. Jim Pizzatelli, man, especially with the character role, guys. And if you happen to fight, God bless you, because the man's going to take a big interest in you. He's going to make you feel very special. He's going to make you feel like you're coming into Hollywood, into his dressing room. Mayday, like, have you ever met, was anyone else like pizza in your career? Anyone else? They cut, they broke the mold with pizza. He's, he's, he's unique, one of a kind, incredible. I'm still friends with him. We still talk, um, friends with his son, his daughter, his wife, um, grandchildren. I, I, I love pizza, love, love the pizza tellies. Um, here's the thing about the trainers, right? You're talking about the whole environment. Rip Simonic, right? The, the like legendary trainer, um, equipment trainer in Buffalo, who's recently <laughs> Ripper, one of the greatest of all time, right? Then you, you go. Now, I was only in Rochester for six weeks in a Collar Cup run as, yeah. as a practice player, like a you know black ace they, they call us. So yeah. I was there at the end of my junior year. They had Kent Weisbeck as the trainer. Kent Weisbeck, he's still there, buddy. Hundred percent, right? And unbelievable guy. He comes from that same lineage. Pete Rogers, who ended up taking off, and he's been the long-term guy now with the Nashville Predators. Pete was in in Rochester at the time. These guys learn again. It's fostering with being taught the ropes, and um, these guys are lifers in the game. And and I would I hope to think that most players that have gone through those both organizations, but one entity, one organization, really understand how great those guys are. And and you can't tell me like a Tiger Woods could win any major in any golf tournament or any other golfer, right? Because they're talented. But they don't do it alone. They've got a caddy who's their their shrink, you know, their friend, whatever. The guy that's actually doing maybe I say the hard work, but like coming up with the numbers. You can't be you win you can't win a tournament in golf without a great caddy. You can't be a good hockey player without great trainers. You know, know they, they prepare you, but they're they're like they're like that 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 comfy coat or comfy couch. You know, where you go in before and you're having a hard day and you sit there and it literally is. It's like going to see a shrink. Because they've seen everything. They've seen every player. And the good ones, they recognize the guys that they can actually impact and they make a difference. You know? And I and at times I'm sure that players they don't need it, so they don't seek it out. But trainers on a hockey team literally are as important as that free agent that you're gonna bring back into a locker room. For sure. Hundred percent. Oh man. Amen to that. Mayday, like pizza had such a big influence that when when I would play like a preseason game, like I swear, man, I, and I, I'm going to ask if you felt the same part of like my preparation was like 
to impress pizza, to impress my equipment manager. He would get me into a mindset that I was the toughest guy and that nothing could mess with me because I was a bad man. And he did into talking like Muhammad Ali and, and do all the all the, the head fakes, man. Remember all that? Like he yep. just got me so excited to be there, right? And like I, I, I hope that the players these days, Mayday, can experience some of that stuff like we did, man. I 100%. I wish everybody could experience that. But it is for a select <laughs> the game of hockey anyways and there's no doubt about it open your eyes right like i i talk like i say i talk a lot and i'm i'm a social guy but you got to pay attention you got to listen and there's smallest little things that that if you're not paying attention you're going to miss right and the best advice doesn't come from necessarily you know the coach or the captain i mean you've got a team of captains if you will but um you know on a good team good teams, good or, good organizations, there's a number of people that can actually make a difference, if not everyone, right? And, yeah, I, I, I love it. I love talking about it, and I love paying tribute to those those guys that were a big part of, of what we did. Certainly, we, we've been talking about Buffalo, but on all the other teams that we played for, um, it, the, the, the argument or the discussion is the same. Um, you know, the hard part is some players are on their way up, some players are on their way down, some players are like trying to find themselves and their identity. And it takes a village to raise a kid, man. It really does. And in the game of hockey, I think it has all those elements. It really does. Like that locker room, instead of going out and getting a guy free agency today that might be able to score you five extra goals, you know what? That character that the other player that doesn't score the five extra goals arguably could be more valuable depending on the makeup of your team. So I think because we're all about stats and we're all about, you know, fantasy sports and all this stuff. Yeah. It's, about, it's about people, right? The character of the person is, is everything to me. And I, my last, my, maybe it's not going to be my last, but your attitude determines your altitude. So you got a shitty attitude. Yeah. You, ain't, you ain't getting there for sure. Shitty attitudes. They wear you down and they wear everybody else down. If you got an optimistic guy that's willing to do whatever it takes, you can mold that that player or that person into believing that they're better than what they really are. And pizza, Ted Nolan as my coach, he was number one for me for that. Um, Teddy Nolan, he single-handedly he he would inspire and and construct that personality for you or help you get there. And um, he's one of the greatest, one of my favorite people in hockey, no doubt. I'm a big Ted Nolan fan too. Um, just like, and I mentioned him when I was asking about like that type of camaraderie, like to have Teddy Nolan as your coach, to have Razor and Barnaby on your side, as as well as others on that team. Like to me, that was like the ultimate team. Like that, I, I, the, the, a team's team, <laughs> like like that Sabres team. Like I saw this video, Mayday, I posted it on my Facebook and it was called like Rare 1990 Goals and Fights. And it had Teddy's picture. So I was pretty, I was drawn to it right away. But the majority of the video was your goals at the odd and you and Razor's fights at the odd, right? A lot of battles with the Quebec Nordiques, a lot of battles with the Boston Bruins. But what you could really hear 
was the crowd, man, was just the man. It, it's so authentic. I, I couldn't get over it. Now, I like to blab a little bit, too. So I apologize. What I want to get into now, brother, was we're going to be talking about this arena. We're talking about the team. But the following season, your second year pro was obviously a huge, huge year for you, right? We're talking about a great season. We're talking about an amazing playoff. We're talking about a big goal. We're talking about all of it, right? Now, I want to jump. Okay, so, okay, first of all, I got to let my listeners know the production that, that you put up. So this guy played a full season that year. And when I say a full season, I mean he didn't miss any games. Now, to be as physical as Brad May and not miss a game in a season, man, you got to have a lot of things go right. You've got to be really mentally tough, and you got to be able to experience a lot of pain and be able to play. And that's what this gentleman did. So that's the first thing I want to point out. The guy almost puts up 30 points that year. This guy has almost 250 penalty minutes, 242 penalty minutes to be exact. And this gentleman doesn't like to get 10-minute misconduct. So I know you were putting in the work. So now, playoff time. You got Dominic Hasek as your goalie. You got all these incredible superstars on the roster. You guys are a good team, Mr. May. Okay? So now, this game four, it goes into overtime. Now, you guys are up 3-0 in the series. Now, Mayday, I don't know what the situation with Boston was, but you guys must have just been on fire because I think they were a pretty good team that year. And you guys really, really, like, punked them off in that first round, right? But regardless of that, we're talking legendary players like Raymond Bork, okay? So we're in overtime. Now, these are the facts. I want to talk about this a little bit different, Mayday. I know a lot of people bring this up, brother. I want to talk the facts of what happened. But then I want to talk about the impact of what it had for people like me and a lot of other Canadians and a lot of other hockey fans in general, seeing that goal that you scored. Okay, so now let's go over the facts. First of all, the guy sliding that made the take the tape pass. That was Mr. Patty LaFontaine, correct? Yes, it was. Okay, so this guy's sliding. I don't know how he did it, Mayday. I mean, I'm sure you've fixed it a million times. I don't even know if you saw what he was doing or if you were just watching the puck. But you had a great angle. You're cutting through the middle. I've heard you explain this, right? You're doing a great job. You get that pass tape to tape. What are you thinking when you see Raymond Bork, though? You're like, Jesus, this is Ray Bork. It, you know, <laughs> it, it, the amazing part, or so going into the playoffs, the Boston Bruins were the best team in the league. Their record. I think they won 19 of 21 games or something going in. Thereabouts. It was really, you know, the hottest strong, team. strong finish for that team. And they were the best team. We struggled. We lost the last seven games of the season, but we knew we were playing. So part of our, it was almost like sacrificing games to get in shape. So John Muckler had us doing, you know, stuff that you'd never do in season. And, and so we, half our team was probably gassed, right? Going into some of these games. But we actually were developing our game plan for the Boston Bruins. That's the interesting thing about you know, back then. You knew who you were playing. It wasn't you know, finding out two days before the playoffs start, right? Yeah. In the last day. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a big deal. Obviously, we had our, our goalies were Grant Fuhr and Dominic Hasek was a backup that year. And I say Hasek was the backup. Yeah. Well, yeah. So Fierzy was our was our guy. So we won that series. Dominic came in in game four, but 
Fierzy played the first three games. And then he played all four games against Montreal. And we lost. Montreal went on to win the Stanley Cup, whatever. Um, but Dominic came in at the, the last game. Halfway through or in the third period or whatever it was, we were down five to two going into the third period. Buffalo hadn't made it out of the playoffs in 10 years. Kind of think of the Toronto Maple Leafs. First round. In the first round. They've never made it past the first yeah. round in 10 years. Okay. And they've been in the playoffs, but they play, they're playing Montreal. They're playing Boston. They're getting beat, those two teams. So think of the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. They haven't, they've been struggling to get out of the playoff, you know, out of the first round in yeah. their division. Something yeah. like this. this is kind of like how what I maybe envision for Toronto, right? This year, whoever they play, it's going to be a big moment if they got past that first round. It's like they call it the monkey on your back, right? Or off yeah. your back. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So going into the third period, we ended up coming back. Yuri Himmler scores with like 10 seconds to go in the third period for us to tie up the game. So now we got a chance. I'm on the ice. I, I, I'm, play, I, I'm playing with LaFontaine and McGillney and, as their left winger. And <laughs> I'm tasked pretty much through the first three or this is a fourth game, but basically we're on the ice. Ray Bork's on the ice and Don Sweeney. And every time Ray gets the puck, I hit him. Like basically just stop him, hit him, you know, take runs, do whatever, whatever you can. Don't let him up the ice past you. Basically, as long as he's in front of you, Brad, you do whatever you want. We don't even care if you touch the puck. You know, that was kind of the idea. And that happens. I, I get the puck and, I don't know if I, I don't know if I really remember it now. I, I, I've seen it so many times, but um, I made a move. There's, I, as a junior player, you come into the National Hockey League, there's certain things that work. You know, you can toe drag guys. You can try it anyways. Well, you get to the National Hockey League and you try things. If it doesn't work out, you, your coach is on you. Like it pretty much has, has to be fail safe, right? Like, Brad, you're not good enough to challenge a guy one-on-one, get it behind them, and then keep the play going kind of thing. And yeah. so it comes down to odds. You don't want to give up pucks at the blue line, feed their transition, right? Neutral zone. And anyways, I would, I'm just at the time, I'm a stubborn kid. And he put me on the first line with McGillany and LaFontaine. You got a little bit of, you know, you, you got, you got you're almost like you have a cape, you know, like you can do more things. If I'm on the third or fourth line, you ain't doing that. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to have that puck picked off and them go down and score. Right? Like, so you're not making that play. So you you become very safe in, in your play or your approach to play, obviously. Um, whatever happened, I was able to get the puck through Ray's feet, and um, the rest is history. But I was able to, you know, a little pump fake on Randy Moog. <laughs> one of the, one of, I say one of, probably the greatest night of my life, really, like as a hockey player, other than other than being a winner with a team, right? But as an individual, it's it certainly the the greatest moment I had for sure. It was well, awesome. dude, I mean, I mean, first of all, it was, it was an OT NHL winner in the playoffs. Like you said, Buffalo hadn't got past the first round in the previous 10 seasons. Now on top of that, it's in the Buffalo auditorium, downtown Buffalo, when the city was in its heyday, it was, it's, it's, it's so many things combined, right? It was <laughs> it, it, like, honestly, it takes me back and I, I could, I've seen pictures, so I know faces from the pictures, right? But um, it was electric. It was loud, like every building when you win. But I don't know. When you're there, it's you're, you're, gladi- you're a glad- gladiator in the stadium. You know, you're on the middle of the ice, and you can hear it from all angles. Where the fan you know, hears the noise from where they are. Like, we get the best of it all, right, when you're sitting at 
at center ice <laughs> celebrating afterwards and you can hear it and see it. Um, no it. I wish everybody could actually in, in, enjoy or have that opportunity or experience something like that. Cause it was like, I don't know what euphoria is. Right. But I think, I think that's, I think that's what that, it is. That know? could be it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now, and, and thank you for sharing that mayday. Now it's mayday cause it's happened. So now, this is what I want to discuss really about it, is the impact, the impact. Now, I want to know if you've talked about it like this before. So I'm going to tell you, Mr. Brad May, what that goal did for, for me, a, a Canadian kid from Scarborough, you know, watching that, that was 93, so I was 11 years old, okay? First started watching the NHL. That was the most excitement that I had ever seen adults playing sports at my age. When I saw Dominic Hassan jumping off and he's got the cage and you know what I mean? Like I, I couldn't believe it. I was drawn to it. I was an automatic fan. That's the first point. It, it won me over to be a lifelong fan as soon as it happened. Cause I'm like, you know what? I want to be a part of this type of excitement, man. I'm 11 years old. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Just these these huge men, these adults jumping up. I've never seen anything like it before. Okay, so so okay, I'm I'm getting excited as I talk about it here, Mitty. So now, the third part was, I kept seeing it, Mitty. You know why? Because of Tim Cherry and Don with Rock'em Sock'em. Yep. Yep. So now my sister, who bought the thing, bought Rock'em Sock'em every every Christmas. Now. That's made the most entertaining Christmas. It must have been the following one that, you know what I mean? But, man, that was my favorite part of that volume of Rock'em Sock'em. Okay, so that adds to the list. <laughs> and then when I first realized how close a sports team can actually be was also watching that celebration of you, Dom, Dom, the Dominator, and the rest of your teammates, right? So, like, honestly, Mr. Brad May... Sean McMorrow became a hockey fan from the Mayday goal, man. And I believe you, there's tens of thousands of people just like me. It, it, that makes, thank you. That makes me feel awesome. But um, I've ran into a number of people from, you know, I played in Vancouver, so, but from coast to coast, St. John's, Newfoundland to whatever, where people say they remember it's, it's, it's interesting. They remember where they were in that moment when they saw that goal and they, and, and they or or, you know what I mean? With oh yeah. Next call and all, when it was all, all put together, people actually, they say they remember it, right? Um, guys that were at their weddings and the guys, you know, all the men disappeared, you know, from the wedding because they were watching overtime in Buffalo and you get those stories, right? And um, a man, one guy in Buffalo, that his wife was having a baby and he actually was like more interested at that moment to actually see the TV out of the corner of his eye, you know, <laughs> and, and actually participating. And so all these different stories, it's pretty cool. It, it really is. It's, it, I think that's what sports does for us. And that's like, I'm a big sports fan. I'm more about the playoffs and the big moments. I don't really watch the league play necessarily and all these other sports, but you pull out the world cup of soccer for me, I'm not, a, I didn't play soccer. So um, yeah, I right. I, I I love it. I remember those big moments in those other sports. Tiger Woods for me is my favorite athlete of all time, and and 
I hope he still has a chance to come back and win because I'm I'll be there to watch. Like I I'm part of that that army. Um, but yeah, you know what's really cool that you just said that that we as hockey players have had that impact on on other people. That's pretty cool. 100%, buddy. And I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, listeners that are listening, I bet you 80% of them said, I feel the same way that Sean does. I'm telling you, man, it, it was such a big impact. And and I wanted to tell you, because I know it's cool to hear things from different angles and stuff. And like, I don't know if you've ever talked about the Mayday goal like that as, as an impact, as a cultural or like, like that was very iconic, my man. Like, that was very iconic moment in sports for a guy from Southern Ontario, from Toronto, you know, to see that in Buffalo. Like, obviously, I have a bias. I'm a Sabres guy. But I know there's a lot of people like me, man. And, and I'm telling you, it, it was something in, in, incredibly special. Hey, you know, um, sorry, Sean. So, no, go ahead, please. No, no, there's just two quick things. So just in that vein, Rick Jenrick got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, you know, I want to say six or 2014, maybe thereabouts. And I, w- I was there and it was the same year that Joe Sack had gotten inducted in the Hall of Fame. I played with Joe and we were there with his family, you know, for the night that he actually, you know, went up on stage. And it was really, really cool to see. They played the Mayday goal when Rick went into the Hall of Fame. Yes, on I, yeah. With all that. So I'm sitting there, and it was just, it was really cool. I mean, I'm, that's the only way I'm getting there, right? But people that's that, your you know, goal, man. <laughs> but, but, of course, his voice is just so great. And and so that's that's one thing. And then during this thing, I've been doing TV work and stuff. I was working for the Sabres, but I went out to L.A. in the, the, the 100-year anniversary, which is where they, you know, celebrated the 100-year anniversary, but the top 100 players in the world, you know, and they, they, they yeah. have this. On the on the rollout on I guess it must have been on TV I was there live so I don't know, but on the video they played I don't know if it would be the top hundred moments maybe there was more but of those moments it showed video of you know most of the players that were there right their their iconic moments and it led off it either led off or ended no it led off the whole thing I'm sitting beside not far from Cam Neely and Mark Messier. The two mm-hmm. of them. And at that moment in L.A. at this this theater and they played the Mayday goal. No way. Top, top 100 moments in the National Hockey League. Now, that maybe I got a, a friend in, in the video department. I'm not sure. But it but I was sitting there. I had no business being in that auditorium with those other players. Truly. Right. Like, But I'm a fan. I'm a friend of some of them. I was with Paul Coffey and yeah, great, great dude. And we were there, and they played that call. And I swear to God, Mark Messier, who I played with in Vancouver, he's like, "What the fuck is wrong with this picture?" He goes, "That's unbelievable. You're not here." <laughs> One of those. It was actually it was really funny. But yeah, it was it, it was it's part of the fabric, right? Part of the history of the game, and being associated with that, being part of it, doing it, whatever. But understanding and being humble enough to understand that, like. I don't take any of it for granted, dude. It's it was it was pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Awesome, man. And and it's so it's so cool to hear you say stuff like that. Like I don't take it for granted and stuff because because like I'm telling you, Mayday. Like like you you're 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 a really big like like example. You you're you a lot of guys like are you, like I say that like you're one of my idols, right? Like a lot of people follow you. So just to know that like 
that you're as humble as you are, it means more is what I'm really trying to say. It's so legit, man, and I, I appreciate it so much. Now, I know I'm going to jump a lot here, but I want to jump to February 27th, 2007, when yes. you got traded to the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, okay? So now, what, what, what me as a hockey fan, I want to ask you, dude, you're getting traded to this team. Now, it's, it's not that long ago. How good was the team at the moment of the trade? Like, were they one of the favorites for the cup at that time? Or were they just like a good team that still had something to prove at trade deadline? The start of that season. So I was in Colorado in training camp. Yeah. I dislocated my shoulder. So I was out for five months. I had, I had my fourth shoulder surgery, the same thing, bank heart reconstruction. So that was my fourth, second time on my, my left shoulder. That's the start. That's the start of the story. So I hadn't even played. I got back. I played a few games for Colorado and kind of understood that if I don't get traded, I probably, yeah, this is going to be tough to re-sign and keep her going, right? Like you don't yeah. so play your ass off. Hopefully whatever happens, either our team gets, or gets, gets on a roll, but we were kind of at that moment, we were out, kind of struggling in Colorado anyways. And I got traded at the deadline to Anaheim. Anaheim had the best record or one of the best records ever off the start of the season. Okay. So the answer, the answer is they were a great team. They Now, there were other great teams that, that had an opportunity too, but Anaheim was definitely one of the top, call it top six, top top eight teams for sure. Um, yeah. I would even I would even go higher than that, but you know there was a, there were other teams that thought that they could win too. Detroit being the best best team in the West, right? You had Buffalo and Ottawa in the East that were rolling too. Um, I get traded to Anaheim, and um, I'd only played a few games. Three months later, we win the Stanley Cup, or three three months and a week later, we win the Cup on June 6th. Never forget it. Um, the one thing I can say is I didn't screw up their chemistry. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a bit, right? But I but I got there. But think about the team we had. We were we were really good. Um, Rand, uh, Brian Burks assembled this team. Obviously, Brian Murray had, had drafted players earlier than that. So it it takes the whole history of the team to get to that point, right? But Berkey was unreal. Um, Randy Carlisle was a was a tough commander, but he he ran the bench and he was like detailed, like really detail oriented. You got Scott Niedermeyer and Chris Pronger on the blue line, basically eating the two of them eating half the half the night. Of, you know, they're on the ice, basically. And yeah. if they don't play together, which they didn't, you know, one of them's on the ice for 50 minutes of the game. It would it would appear. <laughs> You're gonna probably win most games when that's when that's the case. Then you got Tamu Solani, but a lot, all of us, a bunch of us, Todd Marchant, Rob Niedermeyer, Tamu, myself, Sean O'Donnell, and I don't want again, I don't want to forget him, but we were all older guys that had played anywhere from 13 to 16 years. I was 16 years to that point, and never had a sniff. A few of these guys got the Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final in '03 and lost to New Jersey, the guys there. Yeah. Scotty won that year with New Jersey and beat his brother's team. So we had, internally, we had a lot of passion and it, like literally in desperation. Then you got, then you're coupled with Chris Kunitz, Dustin Penner, Corey Perry. Chris ended up winning four Stanley Cups three with Pittsburgh and, and, and one with us gets left and Perry. I haven't, haven't got close. Like I have not got there or Corey has twice, but 
you know what? It's it's fleeting. It's not it's not a guarantee. They thought they'd no. probably win five cups, right? Yeah. After so early, Penner went on to win two cups, another one with LA. You know what? It, these experiences, they that's why these other teams go on to do well because of the experience that those players would have, right? And that's why I experience is a great teacher. It's a great teacher, but I you know what? Playing in Anaheim was fantastic. I was so fortunate that I get drafted or traded there and um yeah, Brian Burke's my, my he's my favorite GM. He's my he's probably my biggest ally in hockey. You know, I played for him for four different teams. I love Berkey. Um, through in it like all the way through, this guy was has been he traded me three times or got rid of me and he basically tried to retire me too, right? But he did. He picked me up um, three times and 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 acquired me once or assumed me when he took over in Vancouver. Um, love the man, and I love the guys you win with, man. Like that's oh, yeah. so great. And the cool part too is you're just a part of it, right? Like the nice part about hockey is everybody played a part. There's players that Mark Hardigan played a game, did well, made made a big. Drew Miller came in and and and, and made a big impact. Played a like not a lot of games, but he played games. Ryan Shannon was awesome, right? Um, Joe Motzko. Nobody ever heard of Joe Motzko before, and even after probably he was over in Europe. But Joe Motzko came in and played incredibly hard ryan carter was a young guy doing tv in minnesota you got players like this that never that people wouldn't know it was i guess my point and they came in and and made an impact yeah Kent huskin you know like like our whole team every guy that was there did something incredibly well to actually help our chance to move on and if they weren't there at that moment it could have went the other way 100 percent. like it's not that easy like we were a great team i think that we could have beat anybody but we could have lost to Minnesota in the first round too. And we beat them four to one. The games were tough. Yeah. Marion Gabrick was running like he was so good. Like one one bounced the other way, you never know what happens. So pretty Jeez, cool. Man. And, and and that type of insight is priceless because I'm telling you, man, like you you just covered a lot of ground there. Like getting people to understand all the different roles. There's so many roles that need to be filled. And you could have such a good team, but you just don't have those other roles filled. And that's the difference, right? So, yeah. man, that's important. Okay, so, so like, Mayday, the thing about you, buddy, is you played for so long. It, it, there's so many things to talk about. I'm, right now, I'm just picking and choosing. I need to talk to you about being a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I heard a story when I was doing my research that... It was so important to you to have that game against the Sabres, right? When Red Kelly gave you that silver stick that you actually asked to sit out the game before so it would work out. Is that true? What, not, not, not entirely. Okay. Well, I this, actually, I think it's better than that. Um, okay. But about three weeks earlier or two weeks earlier, we were in Ottawa skating around. And – Ron Wilson was my coach in Toronto and he takes me, not takes me aside, but he comes skating up beside me before we were going to start practice. And he's like, Hey, um, I've been, I've been looking at the schedule. I don't know what it was. Let's say that um, there's 12 games left in the, or 15 games left in the season, something like that. And you have to play in 12 of them, but this is the, the game, but he circled it. He goes, from, or however it was, if if you play every game between now and you're in that game, 
providing that you don't get injured, you're going to play against X. How would you like to play your thousandth game against the Buffalo Sabres? Yeah, at on a Saturday night in Toronto. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the greatest thing ever. He's like, okay, but here's the deal. I can't sit you out. I can't, we can't manipulate it now because what happens if, I, if we leave six games to go and then you get injured and you miss it? We got to get you close. But I'm going to have to, you're going to have to miss a couple games to actually get there. To actually be in that moment on that night with your mom and dad at center ice and your family. And wow. I was like, are you kidding me? That's unbelievable. So I owe all of that to Ron Wilson. And, and I imagine Brian Burke had a piece of that, but if he didn't, I haven't had that conversation. I owe that moment to Ron Wilson because wow. he was, and, and not getting injured. Right. So yeah. we got to the point I said, I missed a game, a couple games, whatever it was. And other players got a chance to come in and play. But the night before there was two, oh no, the night before we played that game was in New Jersey. We played against the devils and he sat me out. So we went into New York City and he was like, hey, Brad, I don't care when you get to the rink, just show up. Like if there's a night that you can go and celebrate in New York City and not worry about playing hockey the next day, take advantage of it because yeah. you're not playing whatever you're playing on Saturday and just make sure that you're ready to play Saturday. And so, so I awesome. really makes me it makes me feel like it was a special moment, but it wasn't it wasn't my choice. Um, certainly had a part of it by by my enthusiasm, but. Um, that's all Ron Wilson. Wow. And that's, that's absolutely incredible. Kind of shows like, you know, how much the guy just cared, how, how, you know what I mean? Like, like you hear stories about like, and like, I don't, I don't want to like, you know what I mean? But you hear stories about, you know, that, that other coach that, that a lot of guys miss milestones. The guy that got fired from Toronto, I, I don't even, the, the, the gentleman, you he know what I'm talking about. Yeah. He was my right? last coach. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you know what I mean? Like you hear stories like that and you know, so so you got to be happy, man, that people will go out of their way because they personally care, right? No, for sure. And and the other part and not to get bogged down there is is he had four rookies. I and, and one of them in particular I think played his first game that night and they and in the opening the opening puck drops irrelevant, but you know, it's not like football the starting lineup, right? Hockey's a fluid, you know, game, but um, he put out all the four, four like young guys, like rookies. I'm saying, in the starting lineup when we listen to the national anthem after the ceremony to start to see it, to feel it, to kind of maybe inspire them to try to dream to be there. You know what I mean? So wow. yeah, it, it's a cool moment. It's a, and my teammates were sick. They were so great. Jamal Mares being one of them, and Pavel Kubina and Caberlet and Nikki Antropov, Matt Stage, and these guys. They they gave me the, the the nicest watch i'd only been there for half a year and they they together that you know collected money and they bought me a watch that i don't wear often because it's just way too nice for me but it's it's <laughs> the most coolest thing ever and and you know it's really cool to have that i guess respect from your teammates but um equally i i i so appreciate them wow man so Where's the silver stick? The silver stick is at my dad's house. Um, that's where it is. He's got a great spot and it's the perfect spot for it. And um, that's where it is. I don't, to be honest, I'm not a memorabilia guy. So if you ask me where a lot of these other things are, I don't even know if I have them, but um, 
but yeah, my 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 dad has a has a nice home and 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 the space and the room for it. So that's where it's at. Mr. Mr. Mayday, man, you have no idea how incredible these past two hours have been. Um, the type of insight that you gave, sir, like I can't even tell you how much I appreciate it. Because like I told you, bro, I'm a fan just like a former player. But the fan in me tonight really, really had a very, very good time, Mr. May. And like, you know, like I said, just the stories that you told alone, like it's absolutely priceless hearing it from you. Right. And I'm so glad that you gave your input on the whole Buffalo area and organization. That was very important to me as well. Um, I really wanted you to know, because I know I speak on behalf of so many people, the impact that you had playing for the Sabres for people from Southern Ontario and upstate Western New York. Um, You're probably the reason why many people started playing hockey, seeing that type of excitement. That got me hooked as a lifelong fan. and everything else in between, sir, like, like I, I just appreciate it. Um, I know we're going to be getting a lot of call-ins, a lot of emails about this episode of people commenting on the different stories. So I, I wanted to thank you personally, buddy. Hats off. You're a great entertainer, my man. I didn't even get it. I didn't even have a chance to get into the broadcasting, but I now see why you're, you're, all, you're being, being given opportunities, bro, because you're one entertaining gentleman. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Um, in, in, in conclusion, I, you know what? I've talked to my buddies who have been on your show or on your podcast. Um, I know you. I'm a, I, I study hockey. I, know, I don't know every player, but I know where you were, where you came from, what you did. And, um, and, and thank you for having me. I, I've, I've equally enjoyed the last little bit of time or two hours, whatever it's been. What I'm doing now, I want to tell you this because I want to get. Yes, I was going to ask you about some current stuff before we go. I just before you go. So I'm working with a a travel company. We're called Executive Global Tours. We're my partners out in New York. I'm the Canadian contingent, and what we're doing is we're taking big groups or small groups uh, on trips, bucket list trips, especially after COVID. All I want to do for the next 10 years is travel with my friends and go places I've never been and have bucket list experiences with the people I love and want to be with and, and, and meet new people. So what we do is, is we take big groups, think of like all the alumni associations of every team, college football, basketball, baseball, whatever, but hockey being my primary um, sport, going over to St. Andrews, playing golf for a week, Ireland, Portugal, Spain, France, um, I'm off in two days to go to France with tour, um, the French tourist board to go look at properties and, and stuff that we're going to do a tour or tours, you know, whatever sport and whatever group wants to go. But one of my first things, my maiden voyage, and it's not 100% yet, but it's, 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 we're right there, right near the finish line, is we're going to Ireland at the end of the summer, the last week, 27th is a Saturday of August. And we're going over, take, I'm taking about 10 to 12 hockey players. And we're going to go over and we're going to play golf with, with the people that join us, um, which is awesome. We're going to play golf. And we're going to do a tour. We're going to play Northern Northern Ireland. We're going to Belfast, which is your old stomping grounds. We're going to go to Glasgow, Nottingham, and Cardiff at this moment in, 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 with, with the hopes of kicking off every season in the British Premier League. Um, to go to every team, bringing a traveling band of NHL alumni to 
go and play, but also couple it with, with a golf tour. So my invitation to you, Sean, is I would like you to join me and us to come to on me, on me, and I, and I can walk you through the whole economics of it all because we need, it's just the way it is. It's, it's as transparent as it go, comes. You join us, you play with us, and you play golf. We're going to play some of the best courses, British Open courses, and we're, it'll be a week of hockey and golf and fun, and it'll be a bucket list trip for my hockey players, but also the gentlemen or ladies that would join us to, that would come on this trip. Um, and it'll be basically a, a hockey and golf road trip starting in Belfast, which is your stomping wow. ground. And you'd actually be, you'd be the hit. You'd be like, you, 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 I'll give you the C. You come on, you come on. Actually, that's not true. I'll give you the A because I'm working on Owen Nolan. He was born in, in Northern Ireland. Yeah, he was born there. Yes. If I can land Owen Nolan, he's the captain 100% because he is the prodigal son coming home. Yes, but he is. I will give you a letter on this trip to come because you know it and they know you and you'd be a big hit over there with us. Oh man, that it would be such an honor to come. I, I, I appreciate the invitation and I accept it 100%. Uh, my friend, that, that, that's incredible. I, I really appreciate it. I just got to get, I'm just, they're just working on the scheduling of these things, but um, that's what we're doing. Um, that's one of them. Um, I've got a bunch of other stuff that I'm working on right now, but effectively it's a travel company that, is is giving away not giving away um offering bucket list type of experience for fans alike for their you know their fan bases and if anybody has any ideas i'm welcome i'm i'm my my mayday at executiveglobaltours.com mayday yes i was just about to ask you so yes so let's say we're on all those platforms Okay, could you say it one more time, Mayday? So if someone wants, if someone has an idea, if someone wants to promote, if someone wants to help, anything at all, how do they get a hold of it again? Well, so my 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 Twitter, I'm just made, I'm Mayday Hockey everywhere. Or yes. The, Mayday Hockey. So yes. Mayday Hockey at Instagram. Mayday Hockey at, at at Twitter. So that's probably the best way to do it. But the actual company. I can't even remember what the handle is, but you, if you follow me, you can, you'll see the posts or likes that I have. Um, yes. Ex- executive global. I think it's exec underscore tours or something on, on those pro- platforms, but the company is executive global tours.com. But awesome. As, and I think I, 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 I want to deliver these fun experiences for all my buddies, number one, and then everybody else that wants to come with us. Yeah. And that is that, 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 just the idea alone is spectacular. The fact that it's a reality and that you're you're actually doing it I, is is unbelievable, man. That's incredible. Um, I really and, hope some of the listeners and you're my like, you're look into my this. Captain. You're gonna be a captain. <laughs> Mayday, man. You made my day. That's for sure, buddy. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, dude, you know what? Let, let, let's end it on a great note. But before we go there, I got to put a little bit of pressure on you. Is, yep. is is Brad May, Mr. Mayday, willing to come back for a part two on the Sheriff of Cuts? 100%. I just, you know what? I've been calling you Sean. I should have asked you the same question. Sean or Sheriff. Hey, but, call me whatever I, you want, sir. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming on, yes, 100%. I, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Awesome. I really appreciate it, buddy, because I really enjoyed it. And I know the listeners did. This is I, I had so much fun, buddy. You have no idea. 
And um, yeah, this is incredible. And like, I mean, I could I could repeat myself a hundred times. But the point is, is I love this episode today. We got through so many of the issues that I wanted to get through. You're such a good speaker. I can't wait till we have the part two. And I strongly accept your invitation with with lots of gratitude, my friend. Love it, <laughs> hey, thank you very much. I want to thank the listeners. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Mitty. No, I, thank you. I'll, yes. Oh, no. Thank you for saying that. I, I wanted to thank the listeners for tuning into another episode of The Sheriff featuring special guest, Mr. Brad May. It's been a great one, guys. We're going to sign out. Woo!